welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Alex Abrun, co-founder and CEO at Navla. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Matt. So Alex, what I'd like to do before getting into the main part of the conversation is to give my guests more of a chance to provide an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. Uh, so the floor is yours. Sure. So um, my name is Alex Lebrun. I'm an engineer by background. Um, and I started to work on on um, AI and chatbots uh, 20 years ago, actually, uh, when I was still uh, in uh, engineering school. So I, I've been fascinated with uh, teaching language to machines for forever. And so I, just out of school, I started a first company called uh, Virtuos doing uh, chatbots for customer service. So we started this company in France, then we moved to uh, to California. And in 2010, we sold this company to Nuance Communications. Um, after that, I started a second startup called Wit.ai, which is really a Siri as a service. So it's, it's an API that makes it very easy for uh, developers to build um, to build devices or software that can understand a natural language. And um, it was this company was acquired by Facebook in 2015. So after that, I had a chance to uh, at Facebook to work for four years with the best uh, scientists in the world in uh, conversational AI at Facebook AI Research in uh, in Menlo Park. Um, and three years ago, I left Facebook with a, a few um, with a few people to apply what we had learned to healthcare. So this is how we came to uh, to healthcare. Actually, I've been really interested in healthcare. Forever, you know, as an engineer, you saw so many things that you can optimize. It's very tempting; it's a temptation to go to healthcare. But I also knew that go to market is very difficult. Um, bringing change is very difficult, so I was not uh, confident enough to go to healthcare for my first startup. But after two startups and some, um, you know, we had some investors, very good engineers willing to join, and so we. I thought, I thought, okay, this is the right time now to handle big problems in uh, in healthcare. Yeah, so it kind of, I know you were just saying that you've had, you know, long-term interest in healthcare and it was, um, you know, I think you said you didn't have, want to jump into it with your first startup, but kind of what was the, you know, the spur that made you decide after the two companies that you mentioned that now was the time to get into healthcare? Because, you, again, I think so many things can be optimized. Um, and I started to show demos of what the technology we had at Facebook AI Research to uh, to doctors, uh, and they they very they reacted very quickly and said, "Well, oh my God, I really need this in my day-to-day -day job. It could be uh, so useful. We are wasting so much time." Um, and so showing these AI stuff that for us were just normal things uh, to hospitals and doctors was a trigger and we realized, okay, we should really take this in the real world, um, these technologies to the real world. It's very difficult to apply technology, especially in the healthcare industry for many reasons, but 
we thought it was an, a good challenge and that because we had good support from investors and a very good team, we could uh, take this challenge. It, so with the transition into healthcare, kind of what what types of technology or what types of solutions have you focused on developing? So we um, we, we focused on understanding conversations between doctors and patients and based on what we understand, uh, be useful and try to, you know, it, it's typically doctors spend up, up to 40, 50% of their time doing some administrative work, um, clinical notes, uh, following up with patients, updating the EHR, and all these things, you know, if you really understand well what's going on in a conversation and what, what the data from a patient record, um, we are able to, to do these things automatically. And so this is what we call conversational AI, the ability to understand the conversation between two human people, and then based on this, do some automation, do, do some actions in, in the real world. Yeah, so you kind of just talked about uh, or mentioned conversational AI, and you had mentioned that you're also working on that in previous in previous companies. So, what is conversational AI in reality, or kind of what's the from a technical standpoint, what is it, and how does it work? So, I'd say eighty percent of conversational AI is actually uh, building chatbots. You know, when you try to remove a human from a conversation and, and put a machine. Uh, instead, <laughs> uh, like like in the Turing test, uh, and so uh, the original the, the origin of conversational AI is as old as AI because uh, Turing in 1950 defined AI as the ability to to fake you know to fake a human in a conversation to to have a machine uh, talk to you chat with you and you don't you don't realize it's a machine. So th this problem of trying to pretend to be a human in a conversation. Uh, is very is like a, a foundational problem of AI, and conversational AI is really was initially about that, and but after um, in, in my case, you know, after many years doing that, I realized that in in many situations, it's not a good idea to try to replace a human. You don't want to re to replace a human. The, the, there is some components like empathy uh, or common sense that you don't want to remove. And why can we use the technologies of conversational AI not to remove a human from the loop, but to, to augment this human? And in our case, to augment the doctor, to give them super, superpowers. Uh, so because we understand what's going on, uh, we can help the doctor be much more efficient and remove the, the pains that they, they have every day um, instead of trying to replace them. So it's, it's really a different, the same technology but the goal is very different. We are not trying to remove the, the human from the loop. We are trying to assist the human in the loop. Uh, and it, it took me 10 years to understand that, okay, focusing on removing the human from the loop is not a good idea. It's not possible in many cases, but even if it were, we still want, you know, patients expect the empathy, a human in front of them, uh, looking at them and, and so on. So. Uh, it, it took me some time to realize that the, 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 the problem was not to replace some, the doctor, but actually to help them. It, so if you're focused on helping, or as you said, augmenting the doctor, what does that actually look like in practice? So, so in practice, it's, um, it's like a plug, you know, it's, it's like a plugin uh, that 
that listens to consultations. Uh, we don't store the audio, or but we we, we capture the audio, uh, turn it into text, then turn this text into uh, clinical documentation, referral letters, EHR structured EHR updates, and so um, all these things that typically doctors, you know, in a ten minute consultation, they would spend maybe four or five minutes doing this. At the end, we we are just doing doing them in real time as the doctor is speaking with the patient. Uh, so it removes a lot of um, a lot of, of work uh, that is not, you know, they should focus on care, not on doing this like administrative uh, task. Uh, and then we expand that to following up with patients. So for instance, if a doctor tells you, okay, in two weeks, um, I will send you this prescription or in two weeks you should feel better, things like that. We understand that, and we can automatically follow up with a patient two weeks later, sending a text, for instance, uh, because we we know that it was uh, an action. This it was the action plan uh, that the doctor talked about during the consultation, and and then we are you know, teaching new tasks, new skills to to this. Uh, we call it the co-pilot. So the pilot is a doctor. <laughs> um, it's an AI co-pilot, and we, we we add new skills to our co-pilot. Every time a doctor or a user tells us, okay, I'm doing this, this is ridiculous. Um, for instance, I'm receiving lots of documents in my email, like patients I, I are sending me, and I need to open the email, understand which patient it is, download the, the, the file, and put it in the right uh, place in the EHR. Okay, we, we can. this is something we can automate. We will do it. So we are teaching new skills to this uh, copilot every day. Yeah. So I guess before diving into that part, you know, what challenges did you or did you experience, or how has the technology evolved to allow it to just listen to that natural conversation between the doctor and the patient, and then be able to translate that into structured data? Yeah, it's interesting because we've been trying to do that for you know. Not me, but some people have been trying to do that for 50 years almost. <laughs> so it's, it's really like a, a old grail. Um, and recently, well, since 2012, technologies have evolved very quickly owing to deep learning. Uh, so there are two problems. Uh, the first problem is to turn speech into uh, text. Uh, so really the transcription of speech into text. And this is so IBM started to work on that in the 60s. So it's a very, very old problem. And it started to work well, I'd say less than five, six years ago, uh, with owing to deep learning. And up to recently, it was still bad, you know, if there is a noisy environment or if you use very specific medical terms, it won't recognize these terms. And so this is a big problem for using this in healthcare, of course. Uh, and so the last uh, advances in this have been brought like six months ago uh, by new models uh, like Whisper, which was released by OpenAI. Uh, and so the, the, the last 10 years, I've seen a very, very um, quick acceleration in, the, in this ability to turn speech into text with very high quality. Um, and then once you, you get the text, you, you've done just 50% uh, of the way. You, you, don't, you need to turn this text, which is just the, the raw transcript of the consultation, into a structured data, uh, like EHR update, or uh, you know, clinical notes, 
in ICD-10 normalization, in a structural unifier compatible format, things like that. And so again, um, we were able to do most of the work and the, the, the large language models like GPT-3 and others that have been released these last three years have really enabled us to, to, to do the final 20% that was blocking us. And uh, so, so again, very, very recent progress has been key to uh, to, to reach a, um, a level of, of uh, performance that is that can match uh, physicians' expectations. Finally, yeah, no, I think that's a great point because I mean it's in a slightly different field. But I remember, I think for me personally, maybe it was about ten or so years ago. I was at a law firm and we were trying to uh, play around with having um, speech to text software and then have it structured within the format of a legal document. And I think I gave up after a day or two because I couldn't get it to move around to where work, where we had our templates set up. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, you know, I think as you were saying, it's, you're probably not surprised by that problem, but within the past couple of years, there's been a lot of advancement that has yeah. allowed kind of greater capability to be rolled out yeah we really so up to like two years ago we were using like things like we call name entity recognition ner to extract some some segment of text and to understand okay there is some structure here there is a, like there is an illness there is a medication there is a there is a date you know so we were extracting part of the text and then normalizing it uh, and and suddenly, like two two years ago, we started to change completely the paradigm, the, the approach, and started to use an approach that is very that is really related to translation. So instead of t turning English into French, I'm turning the the transcript into like Fire or ICD10 <laughs> uh, uh, pieces of structured data. But really, the, the same. It's really a translation from unstructured text to structured pieces of data, uh, but within without, but with a completely different uh, approach, where you're not trying to extract some spans of text and then finding the structure with, with a syntax in this span, as we did before, but just relying on a, on a huge uh, model that 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 can translate language X into language language Y, and it, it works really well. It, it sounds very fascinating. I think you said kind of that recognition that you need to shift the approach or the, kind of shift the development background to it. Um, but for those of you just joining, I'm ta talking with Alex Lebrun of Nablo. We've been talking a lot about speech to text and conversational AI. And Alex, I kind of want to just pick your brain a little bit about something you mentioned where, you know, I think you said it was GPT-3, which I think, hopefully I'm getting it correct, but kind of the more public facing way people refer to it is probably chat GPT. You're kind of, what is that type of technology and why is it drawing so much fascination right now? So, yeah, there is a lot to say and a lot of wrong things being said about <laughs> chat GPT in these days. Um, so, so chat GPT is built on top of GPT 3.5. You know, it, it's a layer on top of GPT 3. Um, so GPT-3 is a large language model, what we call LLM. And the foundation of this is very, very simple. It's very simple. We trained we trained these machines to guess the next word, basically the next token, or we could say the next word 
So you, you, you are reading a text and suddenly you stop and the machine must guess the, the next word. So I'm, I'm going to swim in the, and then I stop a swimming pool. You have to guess swimming pool <laughs> tomorrow and, and, and then so on. So it's very easy. So we, with a huge, huge pieces of text to, to train these things, it's, it's very easy because any text can work to train to train it. You stop at random places in the text and the machine can, should guess the next word and then you know what is the next word and then you correct the machine and this is how we train these LLMs. So the, basic, the, the, the foundation is very, very simple. Just predict the next word or the next token. Um, and then what's, what's amazing is that it's, it is so large that if you ask a question, just by complete, completing the next word, the first word of the answer and then the next one and so on, it will actually answer your question or, well, pretend to answer your question. And so GPT-3 or any large language model is, works like that. Um, and so it's very simple, but the, the consequence of this, because it's trained at such a huge scale, uh, can make it answer um, questions or um you know, we say prompt, we prompt them. So you, you show what you want with a few examples, and then it will continue, uh, continue your prompt and actually do what you want. So it's, um, what is fascinating is that the underlying uh, way it works is super simple, but the, the, the ability to, to do things with that is, is, is incredible. Um, and so this is what we, one of the things we use today to, to understand, to synthesize the conversation, to structure, to, to add structure to unstructured data. Uh, by showing examples of how to map an unstructured piece of text into a structured piece of information, which is like, for instance, the EHR update. And we show a few examples of that. And then given a new consultation transcription, transcript, we can get um, very interesting results. There are also many issues that I, like hallucinations, so you have to fix many things, but I'm just talking about the happy path <laughs> when it works. Um, and and so this is it. And then chat GPT is, is something, is a layer on top of that with uh, what we call reinforcement learning. So many humans, so we, we, we add a model on top of that to uh, uh, to try to to tell the model when when an answer is good, when it's not good, uh, and what what makes a good conversation, a good back and forth Q and A conversation, and so you 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 further train, you fine tune your model uh, to get this chat natural chat interactions. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is how it works. And chat GPT is a bit dangerous because as soon as people oh, there is a chatbot. I can say hello. It can answer my question. So I will anthropomorphize this thing. I will think, oh, this is a robot. Let's use it as a doctor. <laughs> and so the first reaction of everyone, um, many people uh, when they see ChatGPT is, okay, let's use this in healthcare. Let's use it as a virtual doctor. And it's a, it's a big mistake because it, it makes mistakes. It, it, it just, just thinks that be under the hood, it's just completing word by word, as I explained before. And so it, there is no uh, safeguard, you know, safety net. Uh, it's a very bad idea to use it to do a diagnostic, for instance. But many people will try to, to do that, of course. Um, but still, the, the, the large language model technology, as we said, is, is very powerful and can, can help us be very useful to, to physicians and healthcare professionals.
but not not as not as pretending you are the dog. <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I think you're right. It's you know because it's it can produce a very convincing sounding answer that could be completely wrong. But you know, it's kind of although that to some degree that kind of mimics a danger that you get just from talking. You know, if someone's trying to pretend that they know something, they can come out with an answer that sounds very convincing. But it's you know, I think kind of going back to some of what you were saying originally about you can't just have an AI or anything like that be the replacement. It has to be an augmentation because once you start talking with someone, you have that natural, there's kind of natural cues that you can pick up on where you can start to detect that someone is not, maybe unintentionally is not correct, but you can, you you have those subtle clues you can pick up on that become harder when it's purely a technology-based interaction. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, LLMs are very, very useful in what we do, but uh, ChatGPT, we are not using ChatGPT, and I think ChatGPT is a demo of things you can build with large language models, but not a good idea to use in healthcare uh, directly. Yeah, so kind of going back to, or not going back, but picking up on what you were saying, that kind of the, the that large language model and you know that those functionalities help inform what you're doing and trying to capture the speech to text and then structure it. You know, how does that process, you know, or how does that feed into it? And then also, you know, I think you had alluded to that there were difficulties of kind of the, the specialized language of medicine, but also throwing in a further nuance on, on that of, you know, maybe each physician has slightly different shorthand or slightly different ways of referring to things. So how do you account for those d- distinctions to avoid um, you know, an inaccurate um, recreation of the conversation. Yeah, so so that's another um, like superpower brought by large language models is that we what we call few short learnings, um, meaning that a few examples, like ten or fifty examples of what you want, is typically enough to to fine tune the system to your need. And so. We, we we quickly understood when we started to work in healthcare that every physician has a different way to write their notes and expect um, you know different things. And but the good the good news is that we can adapt to every user quite very very quickly. Uh, we don't need to do a, like a multi million dollar project of with consultant for every <laughs> every uh, every deployment uh, to train you know to to specify what the templates and like we used to do. Um, it can even as a per physician or per healthcare professional level, it's, it's very easy, not easy, but it's possible to to adapt. And so typically we ask our users to to upload a few examples of their clinical notes, you know, the way they wanted them to be structured. And that's enough for us to then follow this template. And then there is a feedback loop. So you can ask the healthcare professionals to to rate to rate every generation and say this one is good, this one is bad, and we will use it. You know, every night we will fine tune the system on a per user basis again, um, and it will adapt exactly like a medical assistant or a scribe would do. You know, getting feedback from from the physician and adapting. Um, so this is one one more superpower of these LMs to be able to 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 learn from a few shots. Yeah, it was funny that you said it's similar to working with a scribe because as you were describing that, that I was I was actually going to comment that's exactly how I've heard the initial training of a scribe goes. But it also sounds like the LLM system adapts a lot more, or theoretically, or hopefully, is adapting <laughs> more quickly. And it's you know the iterative process goes. 
probably within a, a couple of notes or, you know, most a day or two, as opposed to potentially, you know, weeks of getting comfortable working together. And then in an in a ideal world, you know, everybody would use a fire, fire notes, uh, uh, ICD 10 normalization, and, but it's not the case yet and we have to leave. So one thing we learned as, as engineers coming to healthcare three years ago, we quickly um, learned again that things are not normalized, processes are different everywhere, systems are very old, it's, very, it's impossible to change the EHR. And so we quickly learned, okay, we need to accept that the workflow is what it is. How can we plug our superpowers into this existing workflow? We cannot just rewrite everything. Uh, so I think every healthcare startup makes this mistake to decide to, to make an EHR, their own EHR first. Uh, <laughs> we've been there too uh, and, and then we understood okay we need to plug into the existing uh, workflows um, this is what we do yeah no I think that's a very astute observation that it's you know you if you come in expecting to be able to just rip stuff out and wholly replace it you're going to run into a lot of resistance but if you can come in and identify where gaps are and help to fill those gaps to enable the existing systems to work more seamlessly or more efficiently it's more likely you've increased your odds of being able to gain acceptance and adoption. Yeah, exactly. And again, go to market. It's very, it's the hardest part I think for health tech companies. And so you need to start from there and, you know, and then from this and then define, okay, what, what should be my product uh, and not the other way around start with the product and then, think about how will I put this insert this product into into their workflow. Uh, so we are we are big believer at Nabla of API API first approaches where we expose very clean APIs and, and software development kits and so that our customers can without changing their platforms, their EHR, you know, whatever they use to do to to care with their patient to use our superpowers into their existing product. Uh, through through API codes, so we we have this uh, API first uh, approach. Yeah, no, I think that is, I agree with that type of an approach, and it, you know, it's kind of greasing the skids to make it easier. But Alex, believe it or not, we're already out of time. So I want to pose one final question, which is, what has you most excited about the future direction of healthcare? So I'm I'm very excited about um, moving away from the old uh, curative punctual. Um, synch you know, synch synchronized healthcare where you have one one consultation for ten minutes and then you don't see the doctor for for six months. I think we should move to a more proactive and, and continuous uh, asynchronous kind of care, uh, mixing healthcare professionals, but also uh, devices and 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 predictions brought by machine learning. Personalization, and I think we have all we finally have all the pieces to to bring this kind of care. It should be kind of value based care, not not uh, fee for service to work. And I think it, it took many 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 years to to bring all the pieces, but we are close to to be able to deliver this kind of care. And I'm very excited by that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, and I think it's a lot to look forward to. Um, but as I mentioned, we are already out of time, so I want to thank my guest Alex Abron for a great conversation today. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-U-R-E. -E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.